Good morning, and welcome to episode 474 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Hello. If anything sounds off today, if our rhythm or our chemistry is not what it usually is, it's because Sam called me on Skype instead of me calling Sam. This is unprecedented. Totally threw off threw off my game. <clears throat> Not, it's actually not, it doesn't really change anything. <laughs> um, Technologically, it's the same. Yeah, right. Just, just you know, it's part of my routine. I call you. Messing, messing with the success after 473 episodes. All right, uh, so I have a topic. Before we get to that topic, I have some barely relevant research that I think is interesting. So I want to lead off with that. Um, we had a... An exchange over email today with a podcast listener who began his email by addressing it to Sam and Ben. Um, and he mentioned that usually he starts it with Ben and Sam, but this time he chose to be different. You said that uh, your sense was that it was usually Sam and Ben. So I searched my email for for emails sent from listeners to podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And I discovered that Ben and Sam leads Sam and Ben by a score of 72 to 48, which you said was fascinating. I don't know whether you were serious or not, but I was fascinated. So uh, I wanted to find out why this might be, why Ben and Sam might be the more popular choice. I'm assuming that it's not that I am the more popular person. There is there is likely an explanation here. So I, I put out a call on Twitter for linguists. After spending an hour or so uh, perusing linguistic linguistics papers about uh, high front vowels and low back vowels and semantic order and uh, all kinds of concepts that I was only vaguely familiar with, turns out that our friend and, and podcast listener and Grantland contributor, Michael Bauman, is married to a linguist. And she provided an answer. Her name is Kate uh, I asked her if there was a linguistic explanation for why Ben and Sam might be the the preferred construction to Sam and Ben. She gave me several reasons. Uh, so the first reason she suggested that this might be is that we might be suggesting a certain order, that precedence matters. So if we have our names listed somewhere in print in the podcast description, that might subconsciously or, or consciously influence the way that people address us. And that could be it. The, uh, the podcast descriptions usually say Ben and Sam discuss whatever the topic of the day is. So possibly people are picking up on that. Uh, she also mentioned, of course, Ben comes first alphabetically. She says, which wouldn't be a huge conscious motivation, but subconsciously could influence it since it is a list. She thinks that would be a small factor. She also mentioned that Ben ends in N and people tend to shorten the articulation of and in situations like this into something like Ben and Sam, 
So having ben first allows its final consonant to run together with and slash n for faster articulation. Sam and Ben takes a little longer, she thinks. Uh, she also says that uh, the position of an item in a list can signify its importance or relevance to a conversation. So depending on what the person is talking about, the more relevant person might be listed first or second, depending on the emphasis and context. Lastly, she mentions that there is a subfield of linguistics called pragmatics, where people look at how context contributes to meaning. For example, the ability of the two guys in Dude, Where's My Car to have an entire conversation with the word dude, or the implications of a statement versus its literal meaning. For example, have you got any cash actually means can you loan me some because I clearly have none. So anyway, there are lots of reasons that people say the same phrase or word differently at different times other than, other than just place of articulation or ease of pronunciation economy. So it might also come from other contextual reasons that would only become clear with more study. <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone wants to do more study on this subject, please be our guests. Uh, Michael chimes in that he thinks of us as Ben and Sam, um, possibly because he thinks of me as the play-by-play -play man and you as the color guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Ben, I have to say, um, I have to, first I have to say something slightly off topic. Uh, my connection, that's probably a good thing. My connection is terrible and oh. I think it's because I called you. So I, <laughs> I think we should hang up and okay. you should hang. All right. I'll so do let's that. Let's do that. Okay. And we're back. How's this? Better so far. See? Uh, <laughs> possible. Uh, all very interesting. Uh, the play-by-play on -play the color is interesting. <laughs> uh -huh. it's, it, it's, you do, you know, you read the credits at the end. Right. I, yes, I tell people to email podcast at Baseball Perspectives. You don't generally start the show any more often than I do, but you are clearly, yeah, you you're you have the role of the administrator, so that makes sense. sense. I I feel like it. Those those are all really interesting, and and mm -hmm. uh, they all make sense to me. One 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 other thing, and maybe it's a subset of this, is that you are generally the one who puts the call out for questions. You mm -hmm. say email, send us emails for the email show, approximately three thousand times more often than I do. <laughs> and you're also, you know, I assume you're doing this on Facebook. Occasionally, I will see that you tweet it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas I am happy to, um, to, I'm, I'm personally happy to just go back and answer the unanswered questions from 17 months ago. Right. Uh, and so it, it's conceivable that people are literally responding to you and then tacking me on because I'm part of the team. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, I'm glad we, we so looked into not, it. It is not, it's, it's also somewhat interesting that it's not 110 to, to two, right. it's actually, you know, fairly, fairly even it's statistically significant, but it's, you know, it's a, there, there are a lot of people who choose the other, and I wonder what the linguist would say about that. Because we didn't, we didn't ask. I mean, there's 40-some people, uh, you know, the, uh, what, 30-some percent, 35 percent, 30 percent are choosing the opposite. So what mm -hmm. is it that's driving that decision? So we need to do a targeted survey of those people to ask about their, their address choices. Uh, I ha hey, hey, Ben. Yeah. I have a bonus play index. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. Uh, so, so that was it. so. Thank you to to Michael and Kate for answering that. Michael said that he couldn't imagine a scenario where Sam becomes aware of this on the air and spends less than seven minutes thinking out loud about it. <laughs> that was less than seven minutes, though. I think so. We came under that, but thanks to them. And uh, now, anytime you email us in the future, you can be incredibly 
conscious of, of how you were addressing that email. Okay, bonus play index. Um, so Koji Uehara allowed a home run, a solo home run uh, on Wednesday. Koji Uehara has now allowed three home runs this year and has also allowed three runs this year. And I wondered, somebody might have wondered, I can't remember if, I think, I think somebody asked me this, so I don't know why I said I wondered. Somebody, I think, wondered this to me and I decided to look it up. Um, maybe. I, maybe I did think it up. I honestly have no idea. The question is, has anybody done this for, you know, a long time? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a season, for instance. What's the, the, the question that I looked at is, what's the, the most innings a pitcher has pitched in a season giving up no, oh no, so, nobody did wonder this to me. Somebody alerted me to the fact. Okay. Uh-huh. So, uh, so what's the most innings that somebody has pitched in a season allowing no home runs uh, outside of solo shots? Um, and the answer is currently Koji Ohara uh, at 30, 33 innings. Uh, mm. he, is the, he is the record holder. He's got to dodge a lot of landmines, though, in the next three months to keep that record. The current record before him was Pat Neshek, uh, mm-hmm. who threw 19 and two-thirds innings in 2012 uh, and allowed three runs on three homers. Um, the record for most home runs, uh, instead of sorting by innings, sorting by home runs, uh, is... Fred Wenz, who in 1969 pitched 11 innings and allowed seven runs on seven solo home runs. Which the amazing thing about that, and this really is truly amazing, in those 11 innings, he walked 10 and gave up nine hits. <laughs> and somehow, with a whip of like 1.8 or something, he managed to not allow any runner to score. Uh, every runner that he allowed. Uh, that was not a solo home run, was stranded. That's pretty amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And John Frascatore gets a, a bonus mention for being uh, number two in both these lists, 16 and the third innings, four home runs. Also, uh, guitarist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, one more thing, because um, this is the rather arbitrary season, uh, season boundaries, uh, which, of course, uh, we know, like Koji O'Hara, probably won't make it to the end of the season, but it doesn't diminish what he's done. So looking for the longest stretch, I'm, I'm with, with something like 99.8% certainty uh, confident that the record holder for this is Tom Seaver. And are you ready for this, Ben? Ready. 79 innings wow. without allowing a non-solo home run to score. Hmm. 70, 79 innings from late 72 to early... Uh, to uh, to early May of '73, uh, 79 innings, and I think something. Well, this like, is. Do you know what his ERA over there? I mean, how many home runs was it? Uh, he allowed um, eight eight home runs uh-huh. in that stretch. Uh, in so uh, eight runs in 79 innings. So just uh, basically, Bob Gibson's ERA is like like one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess actually not. It's even better than that. It was the the portion that I look the portion that. Um, the biggest bulk was in April, and he had a 1.1 ERA in April. But uh, actually, he had even less than that. He had uh, 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 0.91, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Might be wrong about that. Good. That's right. Uh, so that's the answer to that. So Uehara has got – Uehara is not even halfway there, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, I might be uh, – yeah, I think Uehara is at – if you go back to last year, to September, I think he's at – uh, 38 or 39 so he's he's just about halfway there mm-hmm. okay all right so that concludes the banter portion of this podcast the actual topic is projections and rest of season projections which are just 
which are a, a hot topic right now. Um, oh, by the way, I guess we should mention that uh, that the Marlins signed Brad Penny. And we should probably mention that Joey Votto struck out against Travis Snyder, which adds to the position player pitching uh, tally. Uh huh. And we we should also mention that Bartol Colon got a hit, a double, mm-hmm. and scored from second on a on a single, right? Uh, it, if it was a single, it was joke single, right? It was. I mean, it, it could have been that the batter wasn't sure whether he he could go to second because he wasn't sure whether Bartolo would have vacated by that point. Oh no, yeah, he it was, was it was a double. Yeah. Okay, good. He mm-hmm. was uh yeah twenty twenty one twenty two seconds for Bartolo to circle the bases <laughs> in a sprint. Uh, not 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 really in the sprint, but in anger. He ran in anger, and it took him 22-ish seconds. All right, what are we talking about? Projections. Yes. Yeah, so this is this has been a hot topic lately. There was an article uh, at Mitchell Lichman, also known as MGL, prominent sabermetrician. He wrote a couple posts at his blog uh, last week, I guess it was, doing a study on players who have exceeded their their preseason projections by the most. Um, so he, he looked, uh, both for position players and for pitchers, looked for the guys who 200 plate appearances into a season had overperformed and underperformed their projections by something like 40 points of, of weighted on base average, which is, which is a lot. Uh, as he said, that's, that could be the difference between an average player and a star player or a, a bad player or an average player. Um, and he looked to see what those players did for the rest of those seasons in which they were overperforming or underperforming their projections. And he compared their rest of season projection, which is, you know, updated in season. And you can, you can find rest of season projections at Fangraphs, at Baseball Prospectus. He used the, the steamer projections at Fangraphs. And he looked to see whether the rest of season projection was more or less predictive of those players' rest of season performance than their performance to date in that season. Because we we'll often hear, you know, we're the recency effect, whatever it is, we we weight recent performance quite heavily in our minds, sometimes too heavily. And if a guy has 200 plate appearances where he is amazing and he's much better than we thought he was, often we will we will accept that he is better than than we thought he was. We'll, you know, maybe we'll come up with some reason why he's a different kind of player now. He, uh, you know, if it's a pitcher, he, he's throwing harder. He added a new pitch. He did something with his mechanics. If it's a, a hitter, maybe he's healthier. Maybe he's changed his stance, something. And we'll, we'll, we'll accept that he is, he's reached a new talent level. He has a new true talent now. So he uh, compared, you know, if you look, did those players continue to perform as they had to that point in the season or was the the updated in-season projection as good a, a a predictor of how they would play and of course the the rest of season projection takes into account previous seasons and how those players did then and what he found was that the rest of season projection was better that that if you take into account the the previous season's performance that will be closer to how those players perform over the rest of the year than if you just took their, you know, actual in-season performance. And and this is true really up until the very end of the season. He he found maybe in September, by September maybe there's some some sign that the current season performance underrates the player, but on the whole, certainly to the point in the season where we are now, 
as a group, as a complete population, the overperformers tend to perform like the projections say they would, not like their current season projections say we would. So there's there's been some discussion about this, you know, how much how much do we trust this? Because of course there's even if that's true for all players as a group, it might not be true for individual players. It's certainly possible that someone could identify one of those overperformers or underperformers who will actually continue to overperform or underperform. And so there's been a back and forth. There was a, a Twitter discussion between Dave Cameron and Keith Law about this. There was a, a long Facebook discussion yesterday on Kevin Goldstein's Facebook between writers and front office people talking about this. Basically, how much you should buy into this, how much you should just accept that that projections know all and that we shouldn't try to pick out the players who will beat those projections. So I guess my my first question to you, and we will we will do a little test of this ourselves. That is the meat of this topic. But what is your feeling about this? If if we assume that this is the case, that on the whole players will will play as they are projected, do you feel confident? relying on your own analytical skills, whether it's looking at certain stats, looking at at eyewitness observations, do you feel comfortable in many cases going against that and saying that a certain player will outperform the projection or underperform the projection? Uh, Well, I mean, I feel comfortable with it in the sense that my opinions have no significance to the world. (laughs) There are no stakes whatsoever to me me being wrong. Uh, So I feel very comfortable. Uh, (laughs) However... If, uh, if your, if if your matter, decision, yeah. if your opinion mattered, <laughs> um, you know, I think that generally speaking, um, I, it would be, it would have to be something pretty convincing for, for me to trust myself over a projection. Uh, it would not have to be, it would not be very difficult for me to trust Kevin Goldstein over a projection. However, right. mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, this is a situation where, um, where the both sides are absolutely true. The the bulk of these projections uh, are, the, are smarter than than human eyes or human emotions or mm-hmm. human instincts, uh, and therefore it is in most cases uh, and perhaps arguably in all cases from our perspective uh, wise to trust them instead of going freelancing and trying to find some reason not to trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, however. Um, it is also indisputably true that they don't take into account some of the most important factors of the game mm-hmm. uh, and of performance and therefore if you are one of those select few who is trained to do this as well as uh, has decades of practice doing this as well as and i think this is significant too uh as well as actual stakes to, mm-hmm. the, uh, to the extent that there is penalty to be wrong uh, to being wrong and therefore you can't just uh toss off some opinion uh, you know, whenever you want to, you have to actually think through your biases and and get it right, or else you're going to lose your job. I think in those instances, uh, it would be uh, foolish, foolhardy to uh, to take projections 100% at their word. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, if um, you know, if Kevin and Keith, for instance, are seeing something, this came up uh, about Marco Estrado, yeah. Estrada. Um, if if for instance they both saw something in his performance that is something that we know isn't uh, included in. Projections, I'd be perfectly happy taking them at their word. I wouldn't argue. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue either side. I think both sides are legitimate. And if I had to make a decision on which one to follow, uh, I don't know. I probably would use. You know, I, I probably would decide by who was loud, uh, yelling loudest. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's that's one of the things that I mentioned in my discussion because, of course, Kevin was was questioning the wisdom of just relying on the projections. Um, 
but you know Kevin has some scouting experience and he has a whole scouting staff people who who are paid in part for their ability to to beat statistical projections uh yeah i would i would think though that even in those cases if i were them too i would start with the presumption that the projection system is is smarter than 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 maybe even than me Mm -hmm. uh you know i would i would still require you know a fairly high bar of of evidence yeah um to to go against it because i you know i think that the important thing for everybody in baseball to realize uh, is the limitations in what they know, and there's a reason that these projections are uh, are useful. It's because they strip away the desire, the tendency, the inclination to uh, trust ourselves, our mm-hmm. own minds, more than we should, and to um, to the inclination to overreact to things that we think are more important than they probably are. Yeah, I, I always bring up the the mechanical adjustments quandary and how I never know whether to whether that means anything if you. See a guy, if he says, I changed my stance, I changed my swing, I feel much more comfortable, and maybe he has a little hot streak, does that mean he is a better player now? Will he beat the projections? Or, you know, will he? Will it turn out that that wasn't actually the reason for his performance? Or maybe he won't be able to maintain it? Just because a guy looks good when the last time you saw him and seems to be doing something new or different or better doesn't necessarily mean that he can continue to do that or that it will continue to work as well. So it's kind of a dangerous thing where trusting the projections blindly can get you into trouble and trusting your eyes and the recent recent observations blindly can also get you into trouble in a different case. So um, and, and maybe if you work for a team, maybe there are more people you can consult who can give you a, a more intelligent answer here, more informed answer than than we have on the internet. It, it might be a different different equation for, for us than it is for Kevin or anyone else who has professional scouts who can, at their beck and call, who can provide opinions on these people. Um, and and Sky Kalkman, our friend, has, has suggested that we try this exercise with Baseball Prospectus's scouting staff, see whether BP scouting people can, can beat the projections, uh, which is maybe a, an experiment that we will do. But in the meantime, let's play that game ourselves we will have a a classic effectively wild test here uh that that we will know the answers to by the end of the season um so in this case i have uh found the players who have overperformed or and underperformed their preseason pakoda projections by the most um so the guys who have had at least 200 plate appearances i've got hitters and pitchers using era for pitchers and true average for hitters uh, again, if you're not familiar with True Average, we mention it from time to time. It's the the BP all-in-one offensive statistic. It's on the the traditional batting average scale, so 260 is average, even though 260 is no longer actually average in the major leagues. 260 is average, 300 is good, 220 is bad. You know that that sort of scale you're familiar with, and it takes into account everything a player does on offense, and it's park adjusted and and league and era adjusted, and all of those all of those adjusted. So I have the the overperformers and the underperformers, and I have the rest of season projections for these players, also generated by Pakoda and updated daily. So how should we do this? Should we just take the over and under on the rest of season projections? Should we actually specify numbers that we think they will they will have? What do you think no, is the best way think, to do this? 
I think I think we should do over under. I don't think we are necessarily need to say that we are as good at projecting things as a projection system. We are merely seeing whether we can spot a bias in a projection right. system or a hole in a projection system. We yes. don't need to demonstrate that we we are also as good as, uh, as a you know system that took many years to develop. <laughs> Yes. We're just seeing whether we can poke holes in it. So Right. Of course if we if we actually use numbers then I guess you could figure out more accurately whether we uh, whether we cuz we might pick someone to be over and will win by one point or something and then we'll we'll pick someone to be under and and he'll actually, you know, he won't be under, he'll be over by 78 points or something and Yeah, so how many of these are we doing because I mean if we're doing like 6 or something then, <clears throat> then yeah, we're not going to be able to demonstrate much knowledge or lack of knowledge. I mean, right. The, however large a sample we do here, I mean, unless we do every player, it's probably not going to be it. statistically. <laughs> it's probably not going to be statistically significant. So I was just thinking we just go quickly through the the top and bottom ten or something. All right. All right. So wait, the top and bottom ten—that's twenty. Well, are we just doing over under? Because that would be pretty quick. All right. Okay. So. Hitters, the number one overperformer this year with a minimum of 200 plate appearances is Lonnie Chisenhall. Mm. His preseason projection was 267 true average. He has been 350 to date. His rest of season projection uh, has has been bumped up by 11 points since the preseason. So it's now 278 over the rest of the season. Over or under? Uh, I will say under. Okay. I will. I will also say under. I guess we should probably alternate here so that we don't influence each other too much. So yeah, I will. I will say under. I don't think Chisholm is suddenly suddenly a super hitter. Next guy on the list. I'd like to, by the way, I'd like to think that after four hundred and seventy four episodes, we've influenced each other enough. <laughs> I mean, we should be completing each other's sentences. <laughs> You're right. Uh, next guy is Carlos Gomez. Preseason projection two fifty six. Actual three thirty seven. Rest of season two sixty four. I guess over. it's my turn. Oh, okay. too late. Over. I was I was gonna say over. Also, I I would have taken over on the preseason projection as well. So I would have taken over if the preseason projection was two sixty four. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, right. Gomez is one of those cases where Pakoda is looking at many years of data. He did not used to be a good hitter. He is now a very good hitter. So, so yes, over on Gomez. Okay, next, Jonathan Lucroy, preseason two sixty five. Actual 341, rest of season 275. Your turn. Uh, uh, hmm. that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I will say re- rest of season is 275. Mm-hmm. I'll say under. Yeah, I'm going to take under too. I mean, I would, I would go right around there. Yeah, but, I do. But I would take under. Okay. Next, Adam LaRoche. Preseason 268, actual 343, rest of season 271. I have uh, absolutely oh no idea that Adam Roche was it, having that kind of year. It's my turn. Uh, and I will take I will take the under on 271 because I think I once wrote an entire article maybe about how Adam LaRoche was just the most average player. <laughs> I, I guess for a first baseman, I guess that that is about average. But I, I will take... I will take under on 271. 
Well, if I'm not mistaken, if you if if the over under was always 271, he would have in his career been over exactly half the time and under exactly half the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's uh, right. Uh, I'll say I'll say over. Okay. He does have a 285 career, but on the other he's hand, a, he's 30 old. 34, almost 35. Yeah. Um okay, next Louis Valbuena. Mm. Uh who over. <laughs> actual 330 Preseason two fifty seven, rest of season two sixty one. Over. Over. Hmm. Yeah, I'll take over. All right. Next. I feel like no. I feel like I influenced you there. Yeah. You. you I definitely heard a inclination to under before you said it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I feel like I would need to look up how good, good Valbuena is to even. I don't, he's never. He's never been over two sixty one. If that helps. Hmm. Twenty eight years old. 28 and 6 months, 248 career, but he was 260 last year and 330 so far this year. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the over. All right, next, Seth Smith, preseason 272, actual 342, rest of season 277. I'll go first. I'll take under. I also will take under, although... Uh... It's in, I mean, there's not just, there's just not that much difference between 272 and 277. So, hmm. um, so it's yeah. Uh, but yeah, I also take it under. Okay, this is an interesting one. Nelson Cruz, preseason 283, actual 346, rest of season 286. Uh, all right, I'll take over. Me too. All right, Andrew McCutcheon who is following up an MVP campaign with a, an even more MVP campaign. Preseason 308, actual 371, rest of season 310. And I will take over. I will also take over. All right. Michael Brantley, preseason 260, actual 318, rest of season 269. So, so his has actually bumped up quite a bit. It is. Um... Enough that I'm I hesitate, but I yeah. will say over. I'll say over. Yeah, I'll I'll buy the Brantley breakout to to that extent. All right, and last overperformer is Evan Gaddis. Came into the year with a 282 projection. Is currently at 340. Rest of season 286. And, say those again. Same again. Uh, preseason 282, actual 340. Rest of season 286. I I will take the. Under. I'll take the under too. All right. That okay. So that's the the ten top performers. The bottom, the bottom guys, uh, starting with the 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 biggest underperformance, Jed Jorko, uh, who was projected for two seventy seven, has been one ninety one, and is pre or is a rest of season projection is two sixty five. Uh, under. <sighs> <clears throat> mm, this feels to me like a classic, classic case of of uh, we shouldn't totally buy the the slump because I don't I don't know of any. Well, I, we talked about Jorko before, and I hadn't really looked in depth into his numbers then, and I haven't since then. So, um, eh, I'll I'll take the take the over. Uh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, I I would note I mean there's that he's he's been he's missed a lot of time who knows if he comes back uh you know there there will be the the couple day adjustment 
when he comes back, as we know, when you miss some time, you come back and it takes a few days, uh, statistically at least. Uh, and uh, he was only 264 last year, so mm. yeah. anyway, but you bad. took over. Bad bet by me. Okay, next, Brian McCann, preseason 284, current 221, rest of season 278. Uh, I'll take uh, over. Me too. Joe Maurer, preseason 306, so far 243, rest of season 298. Ooh. I'm going to take, take under. I'm going to take over. Okay. Jackie Bradley, preseason 273, current 215, rest of season 260. Oh, wow. 260 is a big drop. I was yeah. already. I yeah. was definitely going to say under, but uh, that's a big right. drop. The drops are, so, are bigger, of course, for for guys for with Jack. less data. So, yeah, and for guys like Jackie Bradley, who uh, are so controversial, uh, Pakoda knows how many hot takes there are out there. It's part of the algorithm. <laughs> I'll take the under. Me too. Next, Dominic Brown, preseason two eighty one, thus far two twenty three, rest of season two seventy two. Under. Me too. Uh, next one, Carlos Gonzalez. Preseason 300, current 244, rest of season 296. This is a hard one because yes. we also he's he's a health guy. Right, too. that's the problem. Who knows um, if they got all the tentacles out of the fatty mass? <laughs> yeah, right. I would say I would say, I would say over, but there's a I would acknowledge a healthy degree of uncertainty. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll take under on that one. All right, next, Yonder Alonso. Preseason 272, current 217, rest of season 265. Uh, under. My hacking mass first baseman, so <laughs> sticking with the under. Huh. Why Why did you pick him as your hacking mass first baseman, do you recall? He sucks. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, I, I came into this kind of a blank slate on Yonder Alonso, so I'm, I'm getting influenced by you, I think, but I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the under. Uh, next, Will Venable, preseason 267, actual 213, rest of season 262. Whose turn? Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll take over. Over. Yeah, I'm over. Okay. He's David. been over, he's been over 262 every single year of his career. Hmm. Okay. Every single one. Six for six, Ben. Uh-huh. All right. And usually by plenty. David Freeze, preseason 277. Current 224, rest of season 272. Oh, so this one I would definitely defer to somebody else. I have I have no I have no opinion on this. Mm. I'm gonna, would, I'll take the under. Just I mean, people were down on freeze coming into this year. I'll take the over. Mm. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, you, you're cheating. You can't use a can't use a can't use a coin. That's going to be a better predictor than me. Um, all right, and last underperformer, Alejandro Deaza, preseason 269, current 221, and rest of season 263. Uh, I will say under, and yeah. I remember, I, partly because I remember at the beginning of the year that uh, Pakoda seemed to be bananas on Deaza mm -hmm. to start mm -hmm. with. Yes, right, under. Uh, okay, so that's all the hitters. Can we do lightning round pitchers? Sure. Okay. Wait, what? what's the difference? 
<laughs> this will be the same thing, but we'll go faster. <laughs> um, okay, uh, pitchers, shall, would you rather start with underperformers or overperformers? Doesn't matter. Okay, then we will start with underperformers, and we'll, we'll end on a positive note. Okay, so the biggest underperformer, Clay Buckholtz, um, projected for 361, uh, has been 702, and rest of season projection 3.92. Uh, over. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a, a gimme over. Next. Does it? Really? I think so. Buckles, I mean, he's certainly Buckles been... Conf- he's confounded Pocota <laughs> he has. for years. He's confounded everyone for years. Everyone for years, yeah. So to me, that's actually probably the one of the three toughest that we've had. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess just seeing him be such a mess has, mm-hmm. has influenced me. All right, Justin Verlander, preseason projection 2.84 ERA, to date 4.98. And rest of season, 3.03. Uh, over. Me too. Uh, you convinced me with your, your article about Justin Verlander. Um, next, Colby Lewis. Colby Lewis came in with a preseason projection of 3.86. He has been 5.97. His rest of season projection is 4.23. Over. Yes. Um, looking up. Yeah, okay. Colby Lewis. His last start was not not so good. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the under. Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Wait, hang on, hang on. I think we just said the same thing, but you oh, sorry. Yes, yes, right. I was so thinking. In this yes. case, the over is the bad. Over is bad. I'll take over. Uh, okay, Eric Stoltz preseason four point oh three ERA, actual five point seven six. Rest of season four point four two. I I will take the under. I'll take the over, but this is tricky because it. My best bet is that he is gone from the club in three starts. I, I don't. I, I don't think that he'll give us a, a sample big enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next guy, Franklin Morales, four point two four projected, five point eight three so far, four point six seven projected rest of season. Boy, I am much, much less. Uh, uh, I guess much less optimistic about pitchers, or maybe just much more easily swayed. Because uh, I'm just going with the over on all these. Over. Yeah, me too. And and you'd think that we should be more easily swayed by pitchers. We've talked in the past about how we change our opinions about pitchers more quickly because it seems but, like they can yeah. change who they are more quickly. But they but MGL's they can, then, they can switch back very quickly too. Though. Right. Yeah. And MGL's study, if I recall correctly, showed pretty much the same thing with pitchers as with as with hitters. So. Not much of a difference there. Okay, um, next, Brandon McCarthy. Preseason projection, 3.66. Actual ERA, 5.18. Rest of season projection, 3.82. Your turn. I'll take under on McCarthy. I will also take under. To me, Brandon McCarthy looks... I've probably watched, I don't know, 35 of his innings, and that guy looks incredible this year. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, like he, looked, he does. He looks unhittable. I have no idea how they're... <laughs> like, I think a lot of these runs are clerical errors. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, yes, he's he's been a bad luck guy, hard luck guy. Tony Singrani, preseason 3.06, actual 4.52, rest of season 4.2. Wow, his projected ERA went up a wow. run and a quarter? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I guess he only had... Uh, 
How many innings did he have before this year? Not not a whole lot. He had uh, and basically no minor league career. Just right. Because, hardly any. Uh, so I'll take the under for for because it's such a big jump, and mm-hmm. I'm going to put some faith in Pakoda. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually have much of an opinion about how good Singrani is, but I will. I do have an opinion on how good Pakoda was three months ago. So I'm going to I'm going to uh-huh. defer to Pakoda and say I'll take the under. Yes, me too. All right, Matt Cain projected for the same preseason projection as as Singrani, 3.06. He has also been exactly the same as Singrani so far, 4.52. Uh, but his projection obviously has not moved as much. 3.13 rest of season. Uh, over. Yes, I will take over too. I like I like Matt Cain. I'm not a not worried about Matt Cain particularly, but I'll yeah. take take over on that number. Yeah. Tim Lincecum. Um, <laughs> I barely. I think we probably barely have to talk about this one. Over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, his projected rest of season was three point four eight. That's that's an easy over. Um, okay, last pitching underperformer Juan Nicasio. Preseason 4.5, actual 5.92, rest of season 4.7. Uh, okay, uh, your turn. <laughs> I don't, can't say I have a strong opinion either way on Juan Nicasio. Um, I'll take I'll take the take the over. I'll take the under. Okay. All right, and now wrapping up with the pitchers who have exceeded their projections by the most. Uh, number one on that list is Scott Kazmir, whose preseason projection was 4.57. He is at 2.05, and his rest of season is 4.16. You know, uh, the uh, the Pakoda, uh, the Baseball Perspectives annual comment on Scott Kazmir, written by Rob McCune, was all about the things that Pakoda doesn't know about Scott <laughs> Kazmir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've been congratulating Rob every every so often this mm-hmm. year. Uh, so I'll take the under. Yes, as will I. Next, um, this is an interesting one. Mark Burley, preseason 4.36, actual 2.28, rest of season 4.28. Wow. Uh, that guy just cannot move, <laughs> move the right. He's the, got a ton of innings. The so. needle. Uh, under? Man, uh, I, I want to take under because I love Mark Burley. Uh, and he's one of my favorite things about this season so far. And he just had another pretty strong start today. Um, but if you look at like his his XFIP, it is almost exactly his his rest of season projection. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's had good good home run for fly ball rate luck, even though he's pitching in a good home run park. So and and he's not getting more strikeouts. He's not really showing better control. He's just kind of Mark Burleying, but getting getting good sequencing stuff going on. So as much as I love Mark Burley and as much as I love his streak of never getting hurt, I'll, eh, I'll take, I'll take the over. Really. I'm taking the, on the note, on the nose, on the dot, but I'll take the over. All right. Next Dallas Keuchel preseason 4.68 actual 2.63 rest of season 4.29. Uh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to, I feel like I'm slightly backlashing against the, the the idea that I'm supposed to think that Dallas Keuchel is like uh, like a legitimate Cy Young candidate for the next five years, mm-hmm. uh, and so like I I think that I I want to backlash against that and say the over, but the number is high enough that I'll still take the under. Yeah, me too. I mean, he's 
I think last time I looked, he was leading the majors in ground ball rate and yeah. also striking well, guys out and also not yeah. walking anyone, doing all the good things. He's so, doing yeah. great. He's yeah. doing great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another Astro, Colin McHugh, preseason 4.7, actual 3.03, rest of season 4.66. Uh, the thing is that at th- at that point, I mean, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to be bad. Well, I guess from this point forward, if you were, uh, sorry, I'm just thinking through uh, the scenario. I'll take the over. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I'll take the under. Four point six six is high. Take, it's very high. Take the under on that. This mm-hmm. is a pitcher's era. Um, by the way, I'm using minimum 50 innings here, which is why McHugh is included here. Uh, okay, next, Julio Tehran, preseason 3.93, actual 2.31, rest of season 3.87. Wow, only cut 0.06 off, mm-hmm. huh? Yes. Because of, of that FIP, because mm-hmm. that FRA. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, 3.87 is pretty high for a park like Atlanta. Yeah. Um, so as much as I'm... Uh, fair, uh, probably more pessimistic about him than he would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll still take the under. Yes, we've been accused of being overly pessimistic about him before. Um, but I'll, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take eh, 3.87. Yeah, I'll take the under on him. Um, Willie Peralta, one of your favorites. 4.58 preseason, 2.98 actual, 4.55 rest of season. Dude, I would take the under on 2.95 or 2.98 or whatever number you just said. You love Willie Peralta. <laughs> I do love Willie Peralta. Yeah. Uh, easy, that's an easy choice for me, so mm-hmm. I'll go with the under. As will I. Really? Because it's not like his numbers are all that great on the CRA. I mean, yeah, 4.55. Yeah. That's high. Tim Hudson, preseason 3.4, actual 1.81, rest of season 3.29. So the the deck is kind of stacked here because he gave up seven runs in five innings today. Oh, did he? Okay. Well, I was going to take the over for what it's worth. I would also take the over. Uh, yeah, three two nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that park, I think I would take the under. But can we? Can I punt <laughs> this game? I mean, given that he starts so far behind, I'll take probably the over. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I would take the under. Just, okay. I mean, no, nobody's going to check this. So. <laughs> Someone might. It doesn't even matter, but I'll People take check things. We get I'm updates. Taking, I'm taking the under on Hudson. Okay. Jordan Lyles, preseason 5.08, season to date, 3.52, rest of season projection has not budged much, 5.04. Uh, under. Me too. Yeah. All right. Uh, almost, almost there. Two more to go. Danny Duffy, preseason 4.39. I don't know whether he was... Projected as a starter, reliever, or what? He's been both, but 4.39 preseason, 2.83 thus far, 4.18 rest of season. Mm. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. He um, take the eh, take the over. Uh gosh, I will take the under. Okay, and last one, Chris Young, the tall one. Preseason, 4.96, actual 3.40, and rest of season, 4.63. Over. Uh, That's pretty much a push for me, but I'll I'll take the over. All right, so that's 
that's it. That's 10 of each type. Uh, maybe someone will compile these for us. If not, then I don't know. Now let's draft them. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so that was fun. We'll, we'll see whether we have any success in beating the projections, although even if we do, the sample is still too small to say that we have any actual talent for beating projections. But what do we, what, So there's 40 coin flips here. How many do you need to get to feel like you did something? <laughs> uh, I need to get 28. Okay, I was going to say 26. 28 and 12 would really be something. Yeah, I'd be, so I'd be pretty I'm gonna happy say about that. 26 and 14, I'll uh, I'll probably uh, I'll probably dumbly boast if I get 26, but I won't. I'll get 18. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so that was a fun exercise for us, at least. Hopefully, for some of you. That concludes the the baseball portion of this podcast. I have one more update on the linguistics portion of this podcast. I received an email from from Kate, Michael's wife, while we were recording, who thought of two more things. She says that language in the brain is a dynamic system, so any or all of the things I listed could be affecting someone's choice of phrasing all at once, like a bunch of different weights settling onto a scale, eventually causing a decision between the two. Also, phrases like this one tend to eventually settle into one order over another, given enough use and enough people agreeing on it. By agreeing, I mean following into the pattern of using one over the other. The eventual winner is probably mostly determined by sheer frequency of use and exposure. So if Sam wants to fight back, for example, he could start flooding your shows with Sam and Ben. So we'll see whether now that people know that Ben and Sam is the more popular choice, that it becomes a, a dominant choice, or whether anyone wants to rebel and fight back. Um, okay. I also, uh, <laughs> I also I sent out this, this question to multiple people who responded to my Twitter inquiry. We also got a response from... Our friend Ken Arneson, who who writes excellently about baseball, sometimes about the A's, sometimes for the BP annual. He also has some linguistic experience. Uh, he says it could be a, a sociological explanation in that I am the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, so I'm higher in the hierarchy. <laughs> so people put my name first. I don't know if I buy it. He guesses that if it has something to do with linguistics, similar to what Kate says, it's because Ben and Sam is a simple mouth movement palindrome. Sam and Ben, on the other hand, makes your mouth change position four times to pronounce its consonants. There are six consonants, five different ones in either phrase. Two of them are bilabials, three of them are alveolars. Bilabial means they are made by placing the lips together. Alveolar means they are made by placing the tongue on or just behind the alveolar ridge on the roof of your mouth. <laughs> S and N and D are alveolars. B and M are bilabials. So the sequence with Ben and Sam is bilabial, alveolar, 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 bilabial. Your point of articulation changes twice. The sequence with Sam and Ben is alveolar, bilabial, alveolar, alveolar, bilabial, alveolar. Your point of articulation changes four times. I like that answer. So that was much more thorough investigation of the topic than I intended to make. We started the show when Bartolo Colon crossed home plate. He is just now completing his walk back to the dugout, which means that we've been talking for far too long. So that is the end of this podcast. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back with another podcast about baseball and probably not about linguistics tomorrow.